the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, let's get it on. Welcome to this hour of the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. It is a special hour. Wait until you hear what we have in store for you. All right, so I'm minding my own business a few months ago, and I get a call from a lady named Ann West. Ann is a marketing promotion lady, and she said, I listen to your show with regularity, and I know that you go to restaurants And you do appearances, you do your meal deals, you invite people to join you. I represent a restaurant that I think you would find interesting. It's called Sherpa's Adventure Restaurant and Bar. Ooh, that does sound interesting. Where is it, Ann? 825 Walnut in Boulder. Ooh, okay. Well, I've done events in Boulder. I've done events in Fort Collins, Greeley, not really in my roundhouse, but why don't I drive up? I love seeing new restaurants. So I loaded Bailey, the Mexican street dog, in the car, and we drove up to this restaurant. I met my guest. His name is Pemba Sherpa. And when you think about it, you know what? Born in a village in Nepal. All right. Very poor. And you know what? I know that there's people listening to this show that maybe haven't had all of the benefits, the largesse of the United States. I know that there's some people that have grown up maybe a little short on cash, but there's nobody listening to this show that grew up in a village and didn't own a pair of shoes until he was 13 years old. Migrated to the United States where he opened Sherpa's Adventure Restaurant and Bar. Been there for 20 years. They served the foods of Nepal. They served the foods of Tibet. I drove up there and I said, you know what? In all candor, I just don't know about doing a show here. But I had been shipped a book called Bridging Worlds. And it is the story of Pemba Sherpa, written with Jim McVeigh, a friend of his from Boulder. I read it and I said, you know what? This is interesting. And you climb mountains. You started out as a porter in Nepal. You became an assistant guide. You became a guide. Well, I've never done Everest, but you know what? He's been up to the 20,000-foot peak about 20, 30 times. Very, very interesting. And you know what else is found? I found very interesting about Pemba Sherpa? You know, we all have a memory of our mother. You know, she made a great meatloaf, or she made a great pumpkin pie. Well, Pemba's mom made a great chai to get him started every day before he began his three-hour walk to school. And he now has chai that is in every major shopping facility in Colorado. Pemba Sherpa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having now, me. Now, are, are you okay being in studio as opposed to me being at 
your restaurant. I just, I, you know, I could do a show and I could have a few people stop by and we could come up with some special meal, a Nepalese meal, a Tibetan meal. But I thought your story is so compelling. I asked you, I'd like you to spend this hour with me. And can we just talk a little bit about your background? Sure, of course. All right, terrific. His name is Pemba Sherpa. My name is, and I got to figure out this Sherpa thing. Jim tried to help me out a little bit. Did you know that Sherpa is not a family name? It's a tribe. And we'll talk about that when we come back on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. All right, welcome back to the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show, where we talk about restaurants, travel, movies, books, sports, or whatever I feel like talking about. So when I get a guest and have an opportunity to talk about his restaurant in Boulder, Sherpa's Adventure Restaurant and Bar, when I get a chance to talk about travel, Nepal, I've never been to Nepal. When I get a chance to talk about books, we've had the biggest of the big. We've had from Sean Hannity and Newt Gingrich to Michael Connolly and Nelson DeMille on this show. But there's a book out called Bridging Worlds. And it's the Pemba Sherpa story written by Jim McVeigh. Pemba, take the listeners through a little bit of your history. I said you were born in a village in Nepal. No roads in, no roads out. A three-hour walk to school, your first pair of shoes when you were 13. Take the listeners through a little bit of your background. Yes, that's right, uh, Mike. And uh, I grew up in the uh, Everest, Everest region of Nepal in a remote village of 10 houses called Sangma. Uh, it's about 10,000 feet uh, elevations where there's no electricity, no plumbing, no running water, no roads. Uh, very poor, simple village. Uh, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, when I had to walk to school, uh, I mean, I had to walk three hours <laughs> one way, and I'm not making that up. And Pemba, you understand that kids in America— if they have to walk 50 feet to the bus stop, they ask their mom to drive them. You understand that, don't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. A three-hour walk to school. Three hours. How, how long was the walk back? Same thing. Uh, three hours back. So we walked I'm six being hours. silly. I thought it probably no. was. <laughs> we walked six hours a day. So, and... At 10,000 feet. In 10,000 feet. With no with, shoes. No, in no shoes, right. <laughs> okay. And that's where I grew no up. No Air Jordans. No Air Jordans, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. So anyway, uh, and so one thing that growing up, when I had to walk those long, when I had to do those long walk to school, I had in my mind that one day I'm going to make a suspension bridge between the school and the uh, river, between the school and my village. The village was on one side of a raging river. Right. The school was on the other side. Other side. So you had to walk to a bridge. You decided that when you got here, when you became successful, when you could give some money back to your community. Right. How long is the – and I've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but I never know where the show is going to go. How long, now that the suspension bridge is built – from the village to the school, how long is the walk? It's 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 a half hour now. Do the adults in the village of Sengma right 
do they complain about this generation of kids only having to walk 30 minutes to school as opposed to when we grew up, it was three hours? <laughs> They're very pleased about the bridge. I'll bet they yeah. are. Yeah, and uh, in fact, you know, the people from the village use them to go to the markets and, uh-huh. you know, do their trading and whatnot. So this is a... This is, uh, uh, very useful and very good project. Is it safe to say, Pemba, that if you grew up in your village, 10,000 feet, the base of Mount Everest, and many other 20,000-plus peaks, that you were born to be a porter, an assistant guide, a guide? Is it safe to say that that was a bit of your destiny? Was it a bit... Is it a bit to say, this is the way I will make money for my village and my family? Well, I mean... It's not like anybody went to work on Wall Street or anything. No, no. I mean, first of all, I mean, it's a a poverty country, okay? When you grow up in a poverty, I mean, you don't have much choice. So you take whatever jobs you can get. You can take whatever job you take. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know... And and you're pleased with whatever job you have, mm-hmm. and you know it is what it is, and that's you know I mean people do it for to to survive. All right, so yeah. I want to, I need you to clear this up. I'm still not clear on this, and you know attorneys are told you don't ask anybody a question that you don't already know the answer to, but I remember a number of years ago working with an Indian restaurant owner that served the foods of Nepal. I shouldn't say that. He was Nepalese. He was from Nepal and served Indian cuisine. I had it a little bit mixed up there. But his last name was Sherpa. And he tried to explain it to me, and it almost came out like Sherpa is a family name. And so your name is Pemba Sherpa. So first of all, tell the listeners how you got the name Pemba. P E M B A. Pemba. You know, many Sherpas are named after the day they were born. <laughs> so uh, I was born in Saturday, which means Pemba. Okay. So my name happened to be named uh, Saturday. Thank God you weren't born here. Your name would be Saturday Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, all right. And so what happens if you have a brother that's born on Saturday? Is he Sherpa Jr.? I mean, is he Pemba Jr.? How does that work? Well, then they might, like, tweak a little bit different. But uh, but it would be, like, different middle name or oh, I see. a little different name. All right. Now, when I was speaking up at lunch at your restaurant, yeah. Sherpa's Adventure Restaurant and Bar in Boulder, Jim, the author of your book, Bridging Worlds, right. was able to explain it to me a little bit. He said, Sherpa is actually not a family name, it's a tribe. So you are Pemba, born right. on Saturday, of the Sherpa tribe. Do right. I understand that correct? Yes, yes. So does everybody in your village, we've got to take a break, but when we come back, if everybody's a member of the Sherpa tribe, and everybody is born in this village, does everybody in the village have the same last name. A little confusing. We're going to continue on with Pemba Sherpa when we come back on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show.
All right, welcome back to the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am when I got a call from a lady named Ann West, and she said, I represent a restaurant owner up in Boulder, and uh, recently published a book a couple of years ago. It's called Bridging Worlds. You can look up Amazon. You can look it up anywhere and find it online with no difficulty whatsoever. I got the book. I read it. It's written by Jim McVeigh. It is the story of my guest, Pemba Sherpa. And he owns the restaurant at 825 Walnut in Boulder. They serve the foods of Nepal and Tibet. But I just don't, I can't. So is everybody in the town named after the day they were born? And is everybody's last name Sherpa? Well, yes. And uh, You can see why I'm confused about this. Yeah, yeah. I can totally <laughs> see it. And usually why the sh- the Sherpa, yes, they name after the day they are born, but not always. But the last name Sherpa, it's a Sherpa is a tribe of people. Right. Okay, it's a tribe of, in among the Sherpas. So when you left Nepal and you've got your pa- passport from Nepal. Right. What is your name? Sherpa. Last it is, it's Sherpa. Pemba Sherpa. Right. Okay. So when you landed in L.A. and you went through immigration or wherever you yeah. came in, they said, oh, we get a lot of people from Nepal named Sherpa, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I think I understand that. But, I mean, so how does your family over here in your village, how big is your village? How many people? There's only 10 houses. Oh, 10 houses. Yeah. Well, I guess there's more yep. Okay. I mean, I was thinking if there's a thousand people that live in this village, it could get yeah. a little bit confusing. Well, there, are, I mean, there are thousands of Sherpas in the yeah. world. Last name is Sherpa. Yeah. No, I understand because they're part again, of the tribe. It's, it's, again, it's a tribe. Okay. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. You, um, why did you pick Boulder? Is it because of the mountaineering aspects of, you know, there's nice mountaineering clubs there. People like to hike the 14ers all the time. When you left Nepal, did you say, I'm going to Boulder, Colorado? Well, a couple of reasons. I mean, I was... Or family sometimes. You know, sometimes there's a connection. I was a mountain guide in Nepal, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have guided lots of Americans in Nepal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> throughout the Himalayas, mm-hmm. uh, and most of the my clients they were from the Colorado area, and ah. I knew lots of people from Colorado. Okay, uh, there's a first. Re- so when they the got up the mountain, they gave you all their CU buff gear, all your Bronco gear, that's right. and they said, yep. "Come and visit us in Colorado." Yeah, okay, and uh, and I knew lots of people here, uh-huh. here in Colorado, mostly in the climbing and hiking community. And uh, and a that and b I certainly want to come to the uh, place where there there's more mountains, so mm-hmm. I feel more like. Mountains. Do you still get out and hike a lot? Yeah, almost all the time. How yeah. many of the fourteeners have you done? Uh I've done many of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. maybe most of them. Yeah. You you climb Kilimanjaro? I have. My daughter and I climbed Kilimanjaro about ten years ago. Yeah. And um, we. Uh, through a mutual friend of ours, found a nice company, found a nice guide. We flew into Tanzania, into Arusha, and um, we spent the night. The next day, we had a rendezvous point. Mm-hmm. I did a private hike, so it was just me and my daughter, our guide, our assistant guide, and a number of porters. And um, we took off, and, um, you know, it was about five and a half, six days up, and about 
a day, day and a half down the descent. We summited at Uhuru, uh, 19,341 feet. So it, we took about a week, and that's about the average. How long did it take you to go up Kilimanjaro? Well, I mean, I was a guide in Kilimanjaro, and I have climbed it, uh, Kilimanjaro many times. I don't remember how many times, but I have been top, top of Kilimanjaro many times. But So uh, you're not a Stella. <laughs> Folks, well, you yeah. know what? There's a kind of a false peak on Kilimanjaro. And it's a Stella peak. And people will say, are you a Stella or did you go to Uhuru? Did you go to the top? So you've been to the top many uh, times. Many times. All right. So what's the fastest you've ever done Kilimanjaro? I've done it in a day in one time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know. Uh, 24 hours. The, yeah. I mean, no, not 24. I think I did something like a little under 18 hours from the bottom to the top and come down. Have, and, have, you, have you ever read some of the stories? You know, there's some every, – every once in a while there's some ultra marathoner yeah. or something. A guy – I remember when I was on the mountain, did it. he was from Spain and he did it yeah. in – Eight hours or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. I mean, he yeah. just and so and I, eighteen hours. That's pretty good, Pemba. Yeah, you know, I, that was when I was young and stupid. <laughs> you know what? I, pro- I, I probably could have done it in eighteen hours, but I really wanted to take my time and enjoy the yeah, views. Yeah. You know that's so. Yeah, and I've done that too, and I. That time, and I thought like maybe, well, maybe you're I'll not keep... even looking at me like I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, when I was your age, I probably could have done it in eighteen hours. Yeah. <laughs> but but it is it's beautiful up there. And, yeah, and, it and, is. Yeah, and I think uh, that I think that, and that's one of the reasons when we did it, I did a private, because as a guide on Kilimanjaro, mm-hmm. you know, right? If there's more than one person, if there's four, six, eight, ten, twelve, what pace? Right. Do you go up Kilimanjaro? You go up the pace of the slowest person in the group. Yeah. And my daughter and I, we knew we were going to go up that thing like our asses were on fire. I mean, we just we were up in the morning. We're out at six thirty, seven o'clock. Sun just coming up, and we were done by noon. Yeah. And if I recall. Um, uh, you know, and there would be other people dragging in at three, four o'clock, and they got caught up in the storms on the mountain, and so forth and so on. All right, so you get to Boulder, you come and see all these friends that you've guided on right. Mount Everest and other many Himalayan peaks, right? And you say, "Hmm, how am I going to make a living here?" Did you decide right away? Did you look around and say, gee, there's no foods of Nepal. There's no foods from Tibet here. Maybe I should open a restaurant, which generally is a formula for failure. Um, Now, 20 years ago, Boulder, I think, culinarily was probably on the cutting edge a little bit. But I will tell you that if you came to the Denver metro area and tried to do it 40 years ago when I arrived here, it probably would have been a bigger challenge. So... Tell the listeners about how you decided to go into the restaurant business. Well, you know, uh, cooking has always been kind of my passions. Uh-huh. You know, I have, I, I always enjoy cooking, and I have cooked and served for uh, many trekking and expedition groups okay. in the Himalayas. Okay. You know, even though I was guiding there, uh-huh. I, always, I always go to the kitchen tents. Okay. 
and help cook. Yeah. And and, and I simply enjoy doing that. Okay. And I was good at them too. Many people enjoy you. <laughs> well, Many I people. will tell you this. The food that I ate at your restaurant in no way resembles the food yeah. that we were served on Kilimanjaro. Yeah. On Kilimanjaro and other peaks like that. I'm, folks, if you decide you're going to go out and do a 14er tomorrow, I would tell you this. Load up on the carbs. Load up on the bulk. Yeah. And your food at your restaurant is obviously a bit more than the food served on the trail. The yeah, food, the it food is. is very good. Yeah. And, you know, and as an athlete, and I believe eating right food is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, and in my restaurants, uh, I try to search. You know, more fresh, natural uh, product as possible, mm-hmm. and prepare every day as fresh. Are you a vegetarian? And, lot, no, I'm not. Okay. I love eating meat. <laughs> uh, are a lot of people from Nepal vegetarians? Like the people from uh, India, there's re- a lot of vegetarians. Not really. Yeah. Okay. People so obviously, the people meat, yeah. in Nepal have a little bit better sense right. than the people your neighbors to the south. Yeah. No? yeah. Okay. All right. So listen. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to get into. How, as you became successful, okay, I am a big believer in, you know, people say, I want to give back. I want to pay it forward. And it's become such a cliche. I was a Boy Scout. You're familiar with our Boy right, Scout right, programs. Yeah. And I achieved the rank of Eagle, which is the top rank. And only about 2% of people that go into scouting achieve the Eagle rank. But one of the mantras of the Boy Scouts of America is that you leave the campground a little cleaner than you found it. And that, to me, is just a metaphor for life. You need to leave this planet having made a little bit of a positive impact. So what I'd like to do is somewhere along the line between opening a restaurant in Boulder, Colorado, being successful, and building a suspension bridge over a river in Sengma, Nepal. There's a story there. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a break, and then I want to get into how that's recounted in that book. If you'd like to drive to Boulder, you're going to get some wonderful food. If you say Boulder's a little out of my geographically desirable zone, then maybe you might want to get the book Bridging Worlds by Pemba Sherpa and Jim McVeigh. So we're going to talk about all that, and uh, we're also going to talk about your mama's chai. (laughs) That's what fueled you all those days in that village, right? All right. His name is Pemba Sherpa. My name is Mike Boyle. We've got his co-author, Jim McVeigh, with us. We've got their marketing director, Ann West, with us. You're listening to the Mike Boyle Restaurant, travel, movies, books, sports, or whatever we feel like talking about. Hopefully, you're enjoying it. We will get into some of the dishes that they are offering at the restaurant to titillate you just a little bit for that drive. We'll be right back on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. All right, moving on on the restaurant show where we are talking with Pemba Sherpa. He is the owner of Sherpa's Adventure Restaurant and Bar, 825 Walnut Street in Boulder. 
I got a call from his publicist a while back and said he's got a book out. It was written by Jim McVeigh. And uh, I read the book and I said, you know what? This is a fascinating guy. And that's one of the things that we try to do here on the restaurant show. We try to do fascinating. So at what point did you become successful enough, Pemba, that you said, I can take some of my proceeds, some of my profits, I can do a fundraiser, but I want to support the people in my village in Nepal. Talk a little bit about how you got to that point. Well, uh, I always believe in the service. service I'm hip. Amen. And uh, uh, I believe the service part of meaningful life is service, okay. acting for common goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always I had in my. That's who I am, and that's what I had in my mind since I was, since I was very poor. Okay. But, uh, but you know, when I first came out here, you know, I started an adventure travel company called Sherpa Asan International, who's uh, international, who's I have. Probably focused on Nepal mostly. Mostly Nepal, <laughs> and we guided in Africa. China, I mean, uh, Tibet, uh-huh. India, Pakistan. Tibet is on the border Bhutan's, of China, of course. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we, we guided and operated tour for many parts of the world. And then, as you know, the 9-11 come. Uh-huh. You know, that was 9-11s. Uh-huh. And, that, and then, you know, many of my business and many of my tour, I was guiding in the Himalayas in Nepal. And it started it, to dry up. Well, and it's, as you know, the Nepal had the civil war. The Maoist rebel group came in, mm-hmm. and then the nine eleven came in, and between those two things, the, I mean, the travel industry is almost. You looked around and said, "I got to make a living." Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, and that's those two things pretty much kill. It's just, it's not just me, but many travel industries. Sure, sure, just of course, like, yeah. Kill mm-hmm. because of those two things, yeah. and uh, and that's when I started doing uh, uh, different businesses. Okay, all right, and, terrific. Uh, and I know that you've branched out. You're a landlord in Boulder. You've done very well. And how did how did you decide that um, you were going to get this money back to Nepal? Because I've found that whenever I've done charitable stuff, right, I want to see the result. Yep. I don't have unlimited funds. Yeah. There will not be a Mike Boyle wing right. on where I went to college, yeah. that library. Uh-huh. I don't have that kind of money. But if I knew of a student or two or ten that needed books, I'd be more than willing to do that. Yeah. I gather baseball equipment, Pemba, yeah. Yeah. and take it to the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And I fly it down. And I meet with some people down there, and we go out to villages with no running water, no yep. electricity. Yep. If they don't have running water, if they don't have electricity, they certainly don't have enough money to buy baseball yep. gear. And we can hand it to those kids, uh-huh. and we can see the smile. So that's what you decided to do when you decided to build a bridge in your village. Yes, and you know, if you have positive thinking, and if you wanted to do something good for the community, uh-huh. you. Always don't have to have money in your pocket. You can ask around, you can talk to people, and you can come up with some ideas. I have found that doing good for other people yeah. while having some money in my pocket yeah. is a good thing, too. Yeah. I have found that that works out okay for yeah. me. <laughs> I'm being silly. <laughs> All right, so this is quite a story. At what point did you decide 
Did you wake up one day and say, you know what, I've got a pretty interesting story here. I think it would be a book. There's a saying that there's a book in all of us. Or were you approached by somebody who said, I live in Boulder, I live in the mountains, I actually live in Eldora, and you know what, you've got a kind of an interesting story, Pemba, I'd like to write a book about you. Which was the chicken, which was the egg? Well, the coming up, writing a book, I mean, I, I, I didn't write a book because I don't want to get famous on this and that. And, you know, I have guided in the Himalayas almost, uh, almost 30 years. Right. And, you know, I also, of course, grew up there. And, uh, you know, many tourists, they go there, uh, they explore, they see it, you know, they achieve their goals and they summit it, whatever, and they come back. But you but lived it. I live in there. I guided there for 30 years. And that's good and bad. I mean, it's good because the destroyers that go there and they generate incomes and, you know, they create jobs and, mm-hmm. you know, um, people like me get opportunity to, to come to the West and, you know, uh, become a better life and whatnot. But in the other hand, there are lots of problems there environmentally. You know, leaving the poor example, like the leaving the trash there. You hear about the trash on yep. Mount Everest. Yeah, I remember. Listen, I remember when we were on Kili, you packed everything out. There were collection points. I remember when we were in the Antarctic. Yep. My daughter and I, I took her to seven continents when yep. we went to the Antarctic. They tell you when you get in the Zodiac off this expedition boat and you go onto the continent, yep. you don't pee, you don't poop. You don't eat a candy bar and drop the wrapper. You just, you leave it as pristine yep. as you found it. And unfortunately, that hasn't happened with no, no, in the many MLR and Pakes and, 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 and Everest. And I find mm-hmm. that's a major problem in the Himalayas, especially in the Kumbhus, the area where I grew up, uh-huh. the, uh, in the Everest route. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Nepal is a, you know, it's a very poor country. You know, mm-hmm. Nepal has a one in 27 person improved access to the sanitations. And Children one in twenty-seven. Only twenty percent person improves. One in twenty. Okay, okay. Twenty-seven percent. Twenty-seven. I got it. Okay. Yeah, and children under the age of five are most affected, and estimated about four over forty thousand children dying every year from a waterborne disease. Yikes. You know, uh, I mean, uh, one more my, reason, folks, to just count our blessings. And so, so. You knew you thought that there might be a book there, but I remember when we were having lunch, you said, Mike, English is my second language. I need a little help. Yep. So how did you find Jim McVeigh? Well, Jim McVeigh, is, first he was a customer of mine at the restaurant. <laughs> okay. And then we became friends and we talked and uh-huh. this, that, and then, then we decided to do this project together. All right. But anyway, in your answer, the whole idea of coming up this book is, is to give people awareness. Mm-hmm. I like people to read and understand what is really going on there, you know, the inside of it. You sure, know, sure, sure. Like my grandparents, you know, they're poor, yes, but they survived. They're fine. They had their cattle. They had their farm. You, you know, know, they live a lot more. I mean, they drink like clean, clear Glacier waters, mm. you know. You, you know, it's interesting. My my ex-wife, who I get along with very well, 
she wrote a book called Happiness on the Blue Dot. And the blue dot, if you are out in space where it's completely black, you look at the earth and it's a blue dot. And she and her husband traveled all over the world. And it was amazing how happy people could be. She did not go to your village in Nepal. But it's amazing how happy people can be living in a mud rondavel in Zambia. It's amazing how many people can be happy with so little. And it generally comes down to faith, family, friends. So anyway, you're sitting at the bar and you're drinking some of that Sherpa ale made by a brewery in Boulder. And you say, I think I'd like to have a book about me. (laughs) So what does Jim McVeigh say? Well, I... Pemba, actually, when I I did, I I frequented the uh, Traveler's Library and Lounge there. It's a great place at the restaurant, very, very warm, uh, small little lounge. And I I was teaching uh, uh, at night uh, a writing class, and at one point uh, we got to know each other enough that Pemba approached me and said, you know, I have this – idea about writing a story of my life and as a matter of fact i've already begun to write it and i encouraged him uh the more i uh, heard about the story the more compelling i found it to be so i encouraged him and then at that about that time 2015 the earthquake happened in uh, nepal and Pemba pretty much had to drop everything because he got involved in a very extensive um effort to to bring needed relief and supplies to Nepal and at one point he said you know my my time constraints are such that uh, I I can't get to this this book might you be interested in uh helping me with it and I immediately said yes because uh how compelling the story was but also too because I had gotten to know Pemba to an extent, and I, uh, I, I really admired uh, what he was all about. So that's that's my side of the story about the the, uh, the partnership and writing the book. The book is called Bridging Worlds, bridging the world between the Western world, Nepal, and it's really an easy read. It's a fascinating read, and I will say this: I think that if Pemba had written this in its entirety, as opposed to having Jim help him format and write the book, it would have been a more difficult read if Pemba did it on his own. I'm being a little flip here, Jim. I'm being a little flip here, Pemba. But uh, you cleaned it up very nicely, and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And like I said, folks, it is available in many, many different sources. came out in 2019. Let's do this. Let's take a break, and let's talk about chai. Can we do that, Pemba? Yes, of course. All right. Chai. We'll be right back talking about it on the mic. And it's good. It is really good. You know what? I'm just not a coffee guy. I'm not a tea guy. I can get into that chai. And I bet you if you put a little uh, something else in it, it might help that as well. We'll be right back on The Restaurant Show. All right. Welcome back to the final segment of this hour, special edition, a special hour of The Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. We are talking with Pemba Sherpa. Pemba Sherpa is 
a member of the Sherpa tribe. He is from Nepal. He is the owner and operator of Sherpa's Adventure Bar and Restaurant, 825 Walnut in Boulder. Food is absolutely terrific. When I went up there, it was during the day. They've got a beautiful patio. And I thought I wouldn't mind sitting outside. I could bring Bailey the Mexican street dog with me. Um, And I really wanted one of those Sherpa ales, but I thought, you know, it's a little early in the day. What can I drink? Pemba, talk about the chai that you served me and how well it is done for you here in the distribution and so forth. Where did the recipe for the chai come from? Well, the chai is like in like part of Nepal and India that's uh it's their main drink mm-hmm. and that's originally where it came from from Nepal and then to India and uh and that's what I drank there every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh in fact every morning my mom would make me before I walk three hours to school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, basically, I've been drinking that since I was infa- uh, infant. Uh-huh. And when let me I- ask you this, Pemba. It was very good. And you put a little milk in there and you serve it yep. hot. I guess a few people drink it cold, you were telling me. Do you ever make it an adult chai? Do you ever put a little bit of... Um, Rum in there. Oh, yeah. Little, people do, drink, you, oh, you, yeah, you put yeah. a little bit of pick-me-up in there every once yeah, in a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People do that all the time. <laughs> but anyway, but right. chai is to, like, design it to, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty much like coffee. Well, in that part of the world. So, right, I mean, right, people right. don't really drink coffee, especially like Belich where I grew so, up. We drink chai. But you know what? I've, 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 I've done this show for a long time. I've been in the restaurant industry for a long time. And there's a lot of people that say, you know— I think that I have a great recipe. I have a great beverage, a great drink. And the next thing you know, they're off and running and opening up a business. What made you think that you could take this to the level that you have? It's beautifully packaged. The story is on the label. It's available in Safeway, King Supers. I think you told me Walmart or Sam's not, Club. Not, it's all over the place. Not in the Walmart, but it's in the Whole Food, Vitamin Cartridge, okay. yeah. Sprout, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much all all the uh, big groceries. All chain. the usual suspects. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, uh, when I opened the restaurant in Boulder about 22 years ago, that's where I first started serving the chai tea. And we were serving by gallons and gallons a day, every day. Mm-hmm. And many customers have asked me, your chai is really good. You should bottle it. Yeah. And first, you know, it's not my kind of thing. So I wasn't interested. I'd rather go climbing and whatever. And then I was keep hearing more and more of that. Uh-huh. And then finally I thought maybe there's a market for it. Maybe there's a need. And I went out there and did a study and a little research about the chai tea product. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, I found a handful of chai product out there in the market. And I don't like to put other people's product down, and I don't like to doing it, but... I said I can do this better. I didn't find one good, real, authentic chai out in the market. Mm -hmm. And that's where I thought there's a market, and there's an... There's good, a need. There's a good, real, authentic chai in the market. Mm-hmm. That's when I start 
uh, brewing it and start bottling at the restaurant first. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, today we have, I mean, seven, 8,000 square foot of building where we have automated <laughs> machines and everything. And uh-huh. we're in about thousands and thousands of stores throughout the countries. Uh, uh, so, I mean, the spin data shows that we are the number one chai seller uh, in most of the store where we are in. So, but basically, uh, yeah, I saw, you know, the chai market here in, uh, here in the United States, and I saw, you know, the products I made here, kind of misconceptions, wasn't made properly. Mm-hmm. So I come up with making the product way, in an authentic way, like real, real chai. Hmm. And it's available, once again, at Safeway King Supers. You said Whole Foods, Whole Sprouts. Foods, Spar, Vitamin Cartridge, and pretty much every cafe in, you know, Denver, Boulder, Colorado Springs. I can't area. believe it's, the hour's up already, Pemba. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you so much for spending time. His name is Pemba, P-E-M-B-A, Sherpa, S-H-E-R-P-A. He owns Sherpa's Restaurant and Bar, Adventure Restaurant and Bar at 825 Walnut Street in Boulder. And you know what? When the roads are dry and the sun's out and you want a beautiful view of the flat irons, why don't you just take a little drive? Get off the Pearl Street Mall a little bit. There's parking right in front of the place. Go on in, or better yet, set it on the patio. They've got one of the best patios you will ever see. Wonderful outdoor patio, wonderful views. But Pemba, don't forget to also pick up his book, by the way, Bridging Worlds by Pemba Sherpa and Jim McVeigh. I think you're going to enjoy it. Pimba, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you, Mike. All right, we're going to take a break on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 